Hey there, listeners. Thanks for tuning in to Samira Stalks. This is a podcast about the dreamers out there and their stories of entrepreneurship. So if you're curious, creative, and you're ready to make an impact on this world, then this is for you. Welcome to episode four with me, your host, Samira Sohail. Thanks for coming by. I was joined by Henry Blanchard earlier this week. He launched the first international marathon in Uganda, now in its second year. He's starting a meaningful travel movement with a week-long immersive experience, including community outreach and a festival marathon mashup in the district of Masaka, west of Lake Victoria in central Uganda. In today's interview, we'll hear about how an OMG moment is actually a bit of a fallacy and ideas culminate out of a long, arduous process, how to go about convincing 3,000 global runners to do a marathon in Uganda, and lastly, what it takes to do business in Africa, including closing a whole town and hiring the entire police force of Masaka for the day. Today, I'm in London with Henry Blanchard, who uh, studied physics and philosophy, actually, grew up in Surrey, and now runs something called the Uganda Marathon, which is the first international marathon to be set up in Uganda. But I'll let him explain it better. So welcome to the show, Henry. Thanks, Samira. How's it going? Yeah, good, good. Um, so in a line, uh, can you explain to the listeners what the Uganda Marathon is? Okay, uh, in a line, the Uganda Marathon is a week-long festival and adventure where we bring people from all over the world to Uganda to understand the community, fundraise for them, volunteer with them, and then at the end, run a marathon with them, and it finishes in a big party. Sounds great. <laughs> Hope so. Um, before getting into uh, like the setup of that, mm. I want you to just take us back to what I call your OMG moment when you decided that you wanted to get involved in this mm. uh, and wanted to do something in the kind of festival and marathon and African space, really. How did that come about? Um, it's interesting, is that because I, I think sometimes the OMG moment can be almost a bit of a fallacy. I think people kind of, because I know that I could explain to you right now, and I will, but there is an OMG moment, but actually at the time it didn't feel like an OMG moment at all. And I think what happens with a lot of people is you kind of, in retrospect, you decide it was an OMG moment and you tell yourself this story around it. And actually, like a lot of entrepreneurs are quite open about it. They say like, we, you know, our, our OMG moment wasn't so OMG, but it makes a story. And that's the kind of story we package up and use for our PR. Um, so I think for everyone it's a process like our OMG moment was I'd been fundraising for the things in Uganda and Tanzania for a while mm-hmm. um, what kind of things were you doing? Uh, so I used to take volunteers out to do sort of NGO programs in Tanzania like Kilimanjaro climbs, things like that uh, and then moved over to Uganda did another volunteer program there uh, so helped an NGO set up one brought people from all over the world to work there and then we were just doing some fundraising for community development. So things like building classrooms, um, capacity building, entrepreneurship projects, things like that. And the OMG moment, if you want, was we were having a fundraising evening. And we were fundraising for one very specific project to add a dormitory to a, like a community school where they took in all the, sort of the, the hard cases. So kind of children that had been that lost their parents or children that had ended up on the street or had learning disabilities or so just kind of the school where you know the government doesn't provide support for this sort of thing in Uganda so the community are dealing with it themselves and we're like okay you know they need this dormitory they want to bring in 180 girls off the street in this community and give them an education so sort of like it, it's not an orphanage and an orphanage is, mm. is that orphanage is actually a really bad solution to 
the problem of children without stable families um, and actually find a lot of institutionalized kind of there's a lot of problems with it so they were creating the solution with the local community to bring children give them a safe space to be like you know if you need to stay here there's a place for you so we were fundraising for that and myself and a friend were doing this and we were, we said at the end of the night we said you know oh it'd be brilliant once this is fundraised like a few of us could go over there and we'll have like a, a bit of a grand opening it'd be yeah. sort of a bit a bit fun um and we you know we're really close friends with the people in this community so it'd be you know we'd just go over there see our mates essentially um and kind of see the thing that we'd fundraised and we said no you know to top it all off we'll go and we'll go on a little run with with some of our friends over there because okay. when we were over there before we were training for the Athens Marathon and we went on a run with like the lo- the the school PE teacher and a couple of his friends and that was really fun so we said oh you know we'll, we'll go on like a little 5k or 10k run with them just to celebrate unbeknownst to either of us my friend said half marathon okay. instead of 5k yeah he didn't realize he'd said it I didn't hear him say it <laughs> and at the end of the night two people came up to us and said you organising a marathon in Uganda? Because I'd love to do it. And we're like, uh, yes, yes, we are. We're organising <laughs> a marathon in Uganda. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, and that 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 you'd call that our OMG moment. Okay. What actually happened for two months after that? We said, yeah, yeah, we'll, uh, yeah, we'll, this marathon in Uganda, we'll, um, yeah, we'll get we'll get around to that. That's that's the thing we'll do at some point. You know, next year maybe. Yeah. I mean. Neither of us have ever organised anything like that before. We had no idea kind of preparation that needed to go into it. So we were just being totally blasé about it. Um, so then I suppose, like, the second OMG moment, and again, it's all a process, it all builds up to it. So in the meantime, I was working at Deloitte on the grad scheme there. Didn't like it at all. Wasn't for me. Um, so I knew at some point I was going to quit. So this, so you know, the light doesn't suddenly come on and yeah. you turn around, you wake up one morning and say, I'm totally going to change, you know. I feel like either consciously or subconsciously you expose yourself to information, people living those lifestyles, like you listen to podcasts, you read articles online, you read books, whatever, and the the cogs slowly turn in your head and things that wouldn't have been acceptable to you a couple of years ago, like, you know, quit the job, move to Bali or whatever. People, you know, you just, people just don't wake up and do that. Yeah. At some point, there's there's a process. Yeah. Um. So... For me, the process was I knew I was going to quit at some point to do something. Um, and this marathon was just, it was a thing percolating around. And then I went to the Escape to the Woods Festival run okay. by Escape the City. So I went to the first one the year before uh, where I met my partner. Um, no, that's total fib. I've, I've raced a year ahead. So this was the first Escape to the Woods Festival. And the first one that they ever the had. The first one that they ever had. And they, they basically crowdfunded it. And I remember I bought a ticket almost straight away. I thought, that sounds really awesome. Here's two hundred pounds. Yeah. Go. And they were doing they were doing this thing where they had like a month window to sell X number, I think it was like eighty tickets. Um and if they hadn't sold eighty, like enough to cover their costs, yeah. after the end of that month, they just weren't gonna do it. And yeah. it was like a Kickstarter. Yeah. Um and I got, you know, I got buyer's remorse like immediately. I was okay. like, I've just given Escape the City two hundred pounds to go and camp with them for a weekend and talk about career change that sounds like the most boring thing in the world I don't want to do this um and then you know sort of every couple of days I check back on their sort of like yeah how page I'm like oh god thank god they've not sold many okay it's not, gonna it's not gonna happen it's not gonna happen to be brilliant um and then they just had this massive burst of interest uh, and then so about a month later like about 100 of us went 
went and camped in the woods. Um, and everyone was sort of talking about, you know, on the first night there was a bar, we all got quite pissed. And everyone yeah. was talking about, you know, what, where we are, what our plans are, what we're doing. Um, and I was just, I was just chatting to a couple of people and I said like, oh, you know, I'm at Deloitte. I know I'm going to leave at some point. I don't really know what I want to do. Like we've had this sort of idea about setting up a marathon maybe I just, that's something I could do but maybe I could do something else I don't know and there was someone behind me whose ears pricked up and I saw him I saw him like turn around out the corner of my eye and I was like oh you doing a marathon in Africa I was like well, maybe I, we don't know basically and it turned out he was the race director of the Sierra Leone marathon winning I know right um, and he just was like you know it'll be quite difficult but if you need help like I'm here, like, I'll tell you, you know exactly what we did, and then that will make your life a whole lot easier. I was like, oh wow, um, okay, cool, let's do that then. So we went out for loads of coffees. He scared the living living daylights out of me. It was just like it will be complicated. This will happen. That will happen. This will go wrong. That will go wrong. And don't expect any thanks at the end either. <laughs> um, and I just thought it sounded brilliant. I was like, wow, that, this sounds like a hell of an adventure. So let's do it. Um, and that weekend, I decided I was going to quit. So the next day, actually, the next day after Escape to the Woods, I had a, an accountancy exam. Okay. That's uh, very exciting. See, that's what happens at Deloitte. Um, and I knew that it was one of those, you have to pass all these exams to get this qualification. If you fail any of them, you get a chance for a retake. And if you fail that, then they terminate your contract. Um, and I just thought... Oh, I just don't care whether I pass or fail this now. Yeah. I don't want to be an accountant. Yeah. I, you know, when you look when you're in an organisation, and if you look at kind of every sort of promotion above you, if you don't, if you don't envy them, if you don't envy their life, yeah. if you don't want to be like them, that's the sign you should leave. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that was my realisation. I was, so I just walked into this exam. This exam, I was like, I'm just going to fail it, and then and then they'll kick me out. Brilliant. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I went in, I failed the exam, then I thought, well, this is ridiculous. I can just hand in my notice. Why am I being so melodramatic <laughs> yeah, about it? Yeah. So I handed in my notice. Uh, okay. And then, so Christmas 2014, I was out. And again, this sounds incredibly melodramatic and possibly a little bit arrogant, but I decided I was retiring. I, <laughs> I, I hated I hated doing mundane work that I didn't think mattered. Yeah. And as I walked out, on my last day, I was like, that is it. That is the last day of work I'm ever going to do in my life. I'm 28. Yeah. And I'm retired, and I'm only going to do things that matter to me. And if I get paid for them, brilliant. But I'm not even going to worry about that. Like yeah. my criteria is, whatever I'm doing, would I do it for free? If I wouldn't, then I'm not going to do it. Okay. And, and that's, now we're that's, here. That's, that's carried on. So, um, so take us to uh, I guess one of the things that I'm interested in about your marathon mm. is obviously that it's not just a marathon. It's mm. not just a race. And I think there's a trend going on these days where particularly millennials want to buy into experiences uh, and I guess a company's mission rather than just a product brand or service. Um, like what is your view on the kind of what I call conscious businesses or impact businesses? And uh, yeah, how would you describe, I guess, this kind of festival marathon mashup to people who, who might be interested in it? Um, okay, we- I think I think what you're saying is so is so true and it's so important. You know, there there has been a shift over the last five, ten, maybe fifteen years. And um, for me, and I I think you could probably trace this journey the same for quite a lot of people. For me, I remember I read the four hour work week, like sort of yeah, 
2008, like a few months after it came out, and I was still at university, and I just read it, and I was like, what, what on earth? Like, but I found it so... I just didn't think it was attainable. Yeah. I, I read it, and obviously, like, this guy outlined his steps, but when... Again, I felt I like I feel like there's always some kind of sort of secret source that people don't tell you behind these things. Like Tim Ferriss, he just sort of casually dropped in, like, "Oh, you know, I was at Harvard this, and I was had millions of pounds floating around that." Um, and I sort of thought, "Oh, you know, well, that's that's obviously, you know, I'm not going to ever be able to do that because I don't have X, Y, or Z." Um, but it did, like, I, for me, that was the start of kind of viewing viewing the traditional life with a bit more scepticism a bit mm. more thinking you know do I want to saddle myself with this careerist job and a mortgage and and bog myself down in the minutiae of life straight away and is there another way um and I think I think so much of this kind of kind of more meaningful travel ties into that so many people are thinking you know like I I I just think it's the most depressing thing in the world to to have a job and slog away at it for 50 weeks a year mm. to save up for your two weeks in, in Malaga, mm. um, which you don't enjoy and you're stressed out by and the kids are screaming. Um, and I think people are rejecting that. And where we are, we're, we're very much tied into that movement of people want experiences now more than things, especially because, you know, if people are still in that career mindset, people work so hard now. Mm you know, for these things that they don't have time to enjoy, actually, you know, your holiday time is sacred. And for a lot of people, it is very sacred. And that's that's one of the things that we're determined to respect. You know, we say, like, we've got two guiding principles. You know, one, we want to develop this community in Masaka yeah. through any number of these metrics that are tied in with the UN Global Goals for Sustainable Development. Okay. Um, but the other one is simply... Have fun! exactly you're on holiday paying to be here yeah it's like you are going to have a good time Um, so no so our key metric is for people that come out we literally and it's bold we want to give them the best week of their life so describe it to me what does the campsite look like what kind of food can I expect to eat what kind of crazy characters can I expect (laughs) to meet out there what Um, schools will I be building it's it's nuts Um, so we Last year, when when we created this idea, we're like, okay, like, no one's going to come to Uganda just for a day to run a marathon, like <laughs> with the best will in the world. Even if you're like a serious runner, yeah, that that's just not going to happen. Um, so we created this, basically this adventure around it, and we thought, okay, if 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 we could have a week to go somewhere and do something, you know, in a developing nation, what would we want it to look like? And just ev- that was our criteria. Every juncture. Like, would we enjoy doing this? If we would, let's do it. And if we wouldn't, then we won't do yeah. that. Um, so we, we essentially designed a week for us. Yeah. And it turned out other people like that as well, uh, which was nice. So throughout the week, it's all about it's all, it's all about immersion with the community. Okay. And it's all about making new friends. So, so many times when, when you talk to people who sort of gone to Africa, in air quotes, you know, it's 54 countries. Yeah. It's a, it's a whole bloody continent. Um, but, you know, they get picked up at the airport in their shiny 4x4 and whisked off to their nice hotel. And then they go on safari. And, you know, if they're very lucky, at some point they might peer out the window and see a local person or, you know, a native, as someone might refer to them. It's just bullshit. Um, so we what we do is we work so closely with the local community, like the local community do mo- most of sort of the the tour guiding and the holiday chaperoning um, and just 
like they're just awesome like people just make friends in a community that they never would have expected so on the first day we pick everyone up you stop off at the equator you do the experiment where you see if water flows different ways down like the sink because like the equator is literally like a physical line okay like, drawn across the ugandan countryside and okay. um, so you go down post the photos there and then you get to the athletes village which is just it, it's an arts and sculpture park lovely um, and it's crazy, like like arts and sculpture parks just don't exist in East Africa. Um, wow. And we absolutely we stumbled across it. By you didn't. So you didn't. That was there. That was there. Yeah. That was there, and we couldn't believe it when we found it. We're like, what? What is this doing? Yeah. In like rural Uganda, in the middle of nowhere, it's like um, it's like the greenfields at Glastonbury. There's massive sculptures everywhere, and there's just like it's this community arts centre in this tiny, tiny community where, like, people don't have jobs, they yeah. don't, there's, like, no viable local businesses. Yeah. And yet there's this beautiful sculpture park. Um, so it's situated on top of a hill. There's, like, a woodland. Um, and it's just beautiful. Amazing sunsets. You can see Lake Victoria from there. You can see, like, just for miles and miles from the top of this hill. And we set up a, we set up a campsite there. So there's a bar. There's a massive communal mess hall big campfire loads and there's like lock seats around it every night um and yeah it's just it's just the most chilled out place where people just come together have a drink share stories make friends um so that's where everyone is every evening we have these big safari tents set up where people sort of sleep in like groups of four or five yeah uh, and then in the daytimes you just you just work with the local community so the first day is like language and culture lessons okay uh, we've got some interns from one of the local universities that take people around and um, you go down to town like eat in the local sort of pop-up restaurants yeah. uh, where you know it's like 10 p a meal and you sit down and it's just, just like carbs whole load of carbs like yeah. like rice yams cassava like any number of there's a lot of ways to portray a carbohydrate yeah. in Uganda and you see all of them. Um, and then we have all the project days. So we're, we're the only, we're the only, cha- we're a charity marathon. Like mm-hmm. the idea is the marathon is there to raise money and equip and develop the local community. But we're the only charity marathon in the world that doesn't set a fundraising target. Like people don't even have to fundraise. We say, you know, even by taking part in the marathon, you're making a difference to the community. Yeah. If you want to fundraise... Crack know, on. Crack on. But yeah. here is exactly what, and this is important for us, here's what the local community have selected. So we say to the local community, you know, we're working on this marathon together. People are going to fundraise. What's what's the most use we can make of this money? Okay. Like what what needs developing? Yeah. Where, where are the most sustainable projects? Where's going to be the most impact? What do you need? Yeah. Essentially. Um, the local community come back to us with, you know, we want to do this, X, Y, and Z it's going to be sustainable for ABC reason. Then we work with them to kind of develop that, tweak that a bit. And then we just present it to the runners and we say, you know, here are 11 projects for this year. This is exactly what they do. Here's exactly how much money they need. Yeah. How much you want to contribute to that? If it's nothing, that's totally fine because, you know, the marathon itself contributes to it. Yeah. If it's 50 pounds, that's brilliant. If you think you can fundraise, you know, 13 grand like someone did last year, then, you know, crack on. Brilliant. Um, And then when they arrive... You, t- you get taken to that specific project, so to that school, and we can point to, you know, those three desks that you bought them. Yeah. That's your fundraising. These children are getting educated because of you. Or, you know, this, so we work with, like, elderly projects where elderly people are really marginalised, and we're saying, you know, we've bought this elderly group a pig so they can self-sustain themselves through farming it. You know, you three people have paid for this, 
and now oh they need a piggery you guys are paid for the material let's build it together mm. um and we do loads of stuff like that and then they they'll go and we work with a playground building organization and um, because creative play doesn't exist in uganda at all really important for children's development yeah. so people go down there and like they do 90 percent of the playground and then we come down and like finish it off and that's a really okay. fun day you know you paint the playground and play with the kids afterwards we do a sports day uh, called kids run wild where we bring in the local street children children with disabilities and just all the marginalized children in the yeah. community and just give them a really special day that they just don't get um and that's really fun so basically we we dump all the runners in the big green square in the middle of town and we say in two hours, 500 kids are going to turn up. You've got three bouncy castles, four kids entertainers, shitload of spray paint, balls, ticker tape, all stuff like that. You know, you're going to have to keep them entertained. So you've got two hours to plan that. Get busy. Um, and that that's that was the funnest day last year, I think. Um, Fair so yeah, just loads of stuff like that. Uh, and then a race at the end. And who, who dares to run? What's the mix of kind of the international community and the local community? What ages? What kind of backgrounds? It's So over half our runners last year had never run a marathon before. Amazing. Um, which is nuts, isn't it? It's yeah. like, never run one. I know. I'll go, I'll go to Uganda and run one on the equator in the middle of summer. Yes. That will be my first marathon. Yes. Crack on. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So it's a really big mix. And what, what we find, actually, we... You'd think it'd just be fish in a barrel. It's like advertising runners world, job done, you get a load of runners. Yeah. Actually, runners are a nightmare. Why? Over analytical. They're just a bit fussy. Yeah. They really are. So like the serious running community, and this isn't a knock on them, but like for a serious runner, you know, running is is their passion. Yeah. And it's it's about the running and it's about the course and it's about challenging and testing themselves. Yeah. And whilst our, you know, our course is amazing, but we don't like we get people messaging us all the time saying, I really want to run the marathon, but I just want to run the marathon. Okay. And we don't want those kind of people. Yeah. Like there are... A hundred, a hundred thousand different marathons yeah. you can run in the world. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, maybe that sounds a bit churlish, but we mm-hmm. found last year we had a few serious runners, yeah. like serious runners sign up. And they, across the board, they fundraised the least, which is fine. Again, yeah. you know, if they didn't feel like it, that's fine. But yeah. they, they fundraised the least... But they engaged the least okay. as well. They were the people that sort of would wouldn't stay behind on kind of project days. You know, play a game of pick up football with the kids. Yeah, and they were the ones that sort of disappeared early from the community events or just did just didn't really engage with stuff. Yeah, and you know, and that's fine. That's their prerogative. It was their holiday time. They paid for it. Yeah, and you know, whatever they want to do. But I would rather have like ten runners from around the world who fundraised loads, but. And just really got into it and really engaged. How many then people ran then last year? We had, what did we have? We had about 1,100 people last year. Okay. Um, this oh. year we're aiming for about 3,000. Um, over doubled. Over doubled. Yeah, nearly tripled. Um, so yeah, which will be... <laughs> just, isn't just a bit of math through that. <laughs> um, so yeah, but even now we're um, we're still, like we don't turn away anyone, but we yeah. we sort of really manage people's expectations. Like if people want to come for just the race day, no, you can't. Like it's the six yeah. days and nothing because it's it's not it's not about the marathon. The marathon yeah. is a hook to draw people in who yeah. are like, oh, I want to challenge myself. And then essentially we hit them with a load of stuff they're not expecting. Um, so people last year, when they were leaving on the Monday morning, like they're in tears, they're like, this has changed my life. This was the best <laughs> week of my life. And we're like, yes, let's bottle that and do that again. Great. Um, and for that reason just runners just don't buy into that as much yeah 
So I, I want to I want to explore. I'm exploring the concept of failure mm. and what that means to people, mm-hmm. uh, and also like within setting this up, were there ever points? What was your lowest point where you just thought, oh, I cannot do this. I've got maybe 500 people signed up and this is just not going to happen for whatever reason. Um, well, there, are, there are a few points like that. Um, one, I remember it was about, it was about February time. And our, so we, we hired a team through Escape City to go out to Uganda and kind of do all the groundwork. Um, and we'd be, having worked in Uganda before, you know, so I'd I'd kind of roughly costed up everything. Roughly, um, roughly back costed of up the envelope everything. stuff. <laughs> totally back of the envelope, and then and then based on that, you know, we we package it up and started selling it to people. Yeah. Um, and it turned out that I was a bit I was a bit off piste. Yeah. Um, and just you know because we're just doing something on an extraordinarily different scale, like it's a marathon through this local community. You have to get the buy-in of everyone, like police, mayor. There's an yeah. army barracks there. You know, local MP. You've got to get everyone on board, and it turned out that. Basically, we just wanted to close a whole town for the morning, yeah. um, and that was going to cost cost more money. Yeah. Um, and so at one point, we we were just looking we were looking at a fairly big loss, um, and obviously there was just you know at that point you can't walk away from it. You've committed to develop the local community. Yeah. You've committed to all these runners that you know they're booking their flights, they're coming out. <laughs> like I'm just going to have to take this loss on the chin, and it's going to be big. Yeah. Um, you know, sort of like taking out several credit cards and like it, it's going to be on me basically yeah. um and you just think oh crap you know i'm gonna have to yeah i'm gonna have to deal with this but once once you sort of outline the worst case scenarios you know worst case we're gonna lose 24 grand and somehow i'm gonna have to find that yeah like that was worst case and then once you know that like every sort of sign up chipped away at that. Like, yeah. Oh, another runner. Whew, that's another three hundred pounds. I yeah. don't have to put on a credit card. Yeah. Um. And you chip away at that. And once you've once you've outlined your worst case scenario, it becomes manageable. It yeah. becomes a knowable. It, yeah. it becomes known. Um. Other than that, sort of, uh, we had a bit of internal strife at one point in the team. Um. And we just had a day when it just it just wasn't very pleasant. Um. And it really like I think it I think it knocked all of us back a bit yeah. just because it been like we're we're really we're really collegiate as a team like we're all friends. Yeah. Um, we've just brought someone else on board on the team who is is very very well qualified for what we need them to do. But yeah. the main appeal was just like they're brilliant and we're going to get on with them really well. Um, and that's important, you know. Yeah. We're, we're living in a house together in Uganda. Like yeah. we're living together, we're working together. Uh, and it had been so much fun up to that point, and then it just sort of clicked into oh, this is this is a job and it's hard and it's yeah. real and we, you know, we might fail and things aren't going brilliantly at the moment. Um, and we sort of took it out on each other a bit. And that okay. was, I mean, and that happens all the time in kind of yeah. work, work. But yeah. for, for and, the... Act- and sharing houses. <laughs> yep, exactly. And so that was, it was the worst of both worlds. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for, for this sort of like, it, you know, I'm not saying it was a happy utopia beforehand at all, but yeah. it, it just it just set us back a bit. I think that's um, fair it was a bit it was a bit depressing, but we got over it. Yeah, and we did it. You did it. Um, that's good. So Uganda actually holds a really special place in my heart because my mm. parents, well, my mum's family migrated from Kampala to this country yeah. in the seventies, um, and uh, I guess what what I've never actually been back mm. uh, for a lot of reasons. Like I don't think actually her family don't want to go back yeah. because it wasn't under pleasant circumstances. Yeah. 
But how have you found, uh, yeah, how have you found kind of setting up a business there uh, in terms of, you know, that I would imagine there's a lot of concern around like safety or bribery or red tape or a difficult political context. What's been your experience? <laughs> um, it's it's such an interesting place to work. Um, I would say Uganda is. There's a lot of entrepreneurial spirit there. Good. It really is. Um, there's a lot of grassroots movement, and you know most people, most people are self-employed. Okay. Over there, you know, from your subsistence farmer to your yeah. your smallholder to your small shop owner, most people are self-employed. So most people, you know, by some definition, are entrepreneurs. Yeah. Um, but the bureaucracy is just is miles behind. Okay. So we so we one of the marathon projects we've set up a an internship project to develop business skills in young people. Okay. To so once they finish the internship, we give them a micro loan and help them set up their own business, and. I think we're four months into that now, and out of the 20 of them, three of them still haven't managed to open a bank account four months in. Okay, um, yeah. And that's that's totally part of the course. Um, like, even for us, opening a bank account just took forever. Yeah. So the the spirit is there. Like, like people are very entrepreneurial. Yeah. People people are very driven. Yeah. They really are. Um, but there's just... Just all the all the fluff around yeah. that, all the admin, all the bureaucracy is is very behind. Um, culturally, it's interesting. Um, one, so we were we said from the start, we no matter what the kind of personal cost to us, we weren't we weren't going to get bribes, we weren't going to be corrupt in any way. Basically, our, our sort of guiding rule was, you know, if it ended up on the front page of the Daily Mail, <laughs> would we hold our head high? Yeah. Um, and and we've lived by that yeah. totally. Um, but what was a bit of a shock for us uh, when, when the police presented us with a bill? Um, I'm like, oh, the police bill. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're we're paying the police, <laughs> and we're specifically paying the the chief of police. Is, is this is this cool? Are we doing? And and um, and we talked to people, and there's there's just like that's just the, the way of the world. You know, to, to get the police to do yeah. something over there, you need yeah. to pay them. Um, yeah. But we weren't like we weren't paying anyone a bribe. We were just. You know, the police said, you know, well, if if we're going to cover this event for a week and, you know, yeah. there's going to be a hundred of us dotted around the course on yeah. race day, you will pay their salaries for the day because yeah. we don't want to, yeah. essentially. Um, and that was, that was, so basically we hired the entire police force of the Massacre District, um, <laughs> so equivalent to like, I know, the Lancashire Police Force. We hired all of them for a day. Um, and yeah, and it's, you know, that's that's just the way it is over there. Like if you want public bodies to do anything for the public good you have to pay pick up the bill so um we hired a few medics and an ambulance for the race day we had to pay for all of that um and, you know it's kind of similar to how it work in the uk yeah uh, but there's just a lot more it's very di- there's so just much a more lot fat. more fat. and you can't get a figure out of yeah. people like you just okay so and- <laughs> pay me what you think it's worth no mate just give me a price just exactly. give me a price, it'll make it a lot easier. Exactly. And then and then there's all this. <laughs> I don't want like, to play game theory right now. <laughs> no, I know. And because and this was at the point where like we started talking to these again in February when we were looking at this massive loss. And like I was saying earlier, like so we were quantifying it and then like, okay, we can deal with this. You know, this is how much we're gonna lose. And then when you've got the police there saying like well, how much can you afford? Yeah. And how much would you like to pay? <laughs> Nothing. Like, please, just give us a number. And honestly, God, like, this went on until about a week before people arrived. Okay. And that was when we got, like, the final figure. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, things just take <laughs> things take time. But again, people are so good natured out yeah. there. So it's like it's fun negotiations. Yeah. So you know, you just go you just go out, go out for dinner, yeah. have a beer with them, and then just just like just chat about it and just dance around suggesting a figure. And then if you say anything, they'll they'll, they'll be like, no, no, we'll we'll talk about that later. <laughs> and later just gets later and later. So I want to talk about your stalking behaviour because I figure anyone who's going and setting something up, A, yeah, it's a hustle. But B, mm. you do have to get certain people on side to get stuff done. Yeah. So can you talk about a story where maybe you've stalked someone or it hasn't gone so well or maybe it has? <laughs> um, so I've, I've given Ollie Barrett a good stalk. Who's Ollie Barrett? Um, so Ollie Barrett, GQ called him Britain's most well-connected man okay. a couple of years ago. Um, and he's very like... I see him at events quite a bit. I was at the um, the Bloomberg Good Business Conference a couple of weeks ago, and he, uh, he I just saw this flash of pastel trousers yeah. uh, in the canteen, um, and that was him. And he he often turns up at things. Uh, so he, and I can't remember his story specifically, but basically he's he's just he's just very charming and very well connected, and just runs like an influencer business like his okay his whole business is designed around introducing people to other people okay um so i met him at an escape the city event um and this was this was in that in that kind of period where we thought oh you know we'll we'll start a marathon but we hadn't committed to it yeah um and i was and i was chatting to him we we're getting on quite well and i was like right okay i want to i want to nurture this yeah um and I was like, well, okay, he gets people like wanting to pick his brains or take him for a 15-minute coffee the whole time. So I'll, I'll do something a bit more creative. Um, so you run into him? I was like, Ollie, do you like running? He's like, well, you know, I've, I've dabbled. And I was like, Ollie, do you like giraffes? He's like, I'm not averse to them. And I was like, okay, Ollie, let's go for a run together we'll have a running meeting and we'll just chat and we'll get more done then and it, it will hit your fitness goals so we'll have a running meeting we'll do it super early in the morning so it'll get it out of the way and we'll do it in regent's park so you can see the giraffes so you can see the giraffes um and he thought that was a great idea and then the bastard never emailed me back what? so he, <laughs> it, it was good and so he he had part of the thing he was saying on, on that evening when i met him was he was just like you know someone if someone doesn't get back to you just just keep pestering them. Yeah. So my god, I've pestered that man. <laughs> and he's um, got back. Has he got back? He he's got he's he's got back to me with a like, oh, you know, let's let's do it at some point. Yeah. Like, oh, Ollie. So Just that, give him a ticket to come out. Give him a ticket to uh, come I know. out. So that is an example of a shit hustle. Yeah. Um But I think the principles are sound. Yeah. Just yeah. a bit like so so I met with a few other people. So I recently got this um this award from Financial News, so it's called the Ex- City Financial News Extra Mile Forty. Uh, it's a list of forty people in finance in the city who do more for charity. Um, and well done. F- well, thank you. Um, and I was just like totally like, the odd one out on this list. So everyone else is like like MD of City Group, like, like that. And I'm just like Henry Blanchard was an assistant manager at Deloitte. <laughs> But I've I've just followed up with all of these people and like Good. I'm getting through to all of their PAs yeah. and, I'm like, and they're like they're like arranging mobile phone calls yeah. at like nine fifty in the morning. I'm yeah. like, who is so important that they have to arrange <laughs> like just a just a quick bell on the phone? Um, 
so yeah, so I'm I'm trying to slowly lure all of those guys out on running meetings as well, and that seems that seems to appeal to people. Yeah. So when they're like, you know, because like I said, people get messaged all the time yeah. for like, you know, this kind of vague, can I pick your brains yeah. or can you help me with X, Y, or can you enjoy? Basically, you just get you get used for that. That sounds really really ungrateful. Like you people see you as a resource yeah and if this happens to me yeah. i can't imagine how much this happens to you know to, to md yeah. of a big bank yeah um so i think it's important to offer them something in return yeah something in return even yeah. if even if it's just like let's meet up at six o'clock and run along run along the canal yeah. and have a chat together like and i'll i'll tell you some crazy stories about entrepreneurship in uganda or something i think you have to offer people something because otherwise, what's in it for them? You know, yeah. like everyone wants excitement, everyone wants interest in their life. Yeah. No one wants the nth coffee with someone with an idea that they just want to. You know, who can you introduce me to yeah. that will help me? Yeah. Fair so, yeah. so that's a better hustle. So that's yeah. working quite well. <laughs> Good. Okay. Good. Well, any listeners out there as well who want to help Henry, please get in touch. Or better still, go and book a place on the marathon. Yeah. And I'll take you on a run on Regent's Canal for it. Yeah. Um. <laughs> If listeners haven't already, I always just ask people a series of off-the-cuff questions just to get to know who they are, but I feel like a very good sense, but I'll ask you them anyway. Okay. So, firstly, what's your song at the moment? What are you listening to? What's my song? Uh, so I, what's, I, your running, what's your running track? What's my running track? Um, I... <laughs> so, I really like a song called Snookered uh, by a chap called Dan Deacon so he's like an, uh, an electronic DJ um, and when when I'm working when, I, when I'm doing anything like I try and listen to music without lyrics yeah I, I think it helps me focus um and snookered is it's like an eight minute song and it just it starts off really really quietly with like little chiming bells and then it turns this like full-blown like pulsing electronica track but just it just builds and builds and builds um, and this actually used to be my first date song. Okay. Um, and I've only told one other person this, and they looked at me like I was fucking nuts. They're like, you, you have a song for first dates. Um, <laughs> because the whole song just really gets me hyped, okay. because it just builds and builds. It builds your confidence. Yeah. No, it's and like, so, come on, I'm ready, I'm ready. Exactly. And so whenever I'd go, like, whenever I'd meet up with a girl or go on a date, um, I would just, you know, have it in my earphones. Like, if I was like, right, okay, so I'm getting off the tube in eight minutes, you hit play. Yeah. And it just starts to build, and then by the time it's finished, you're buzzing, and you're on it, and you're like, yeah, come on! Okay. Um, so that is that is my song. Okay. What tea do you drink? What tea? English builder's tea. I drink it like a grandmother would. I brew the tea bag for about 10 seconds, oh. and then I pour like half a quart of milk in well, there. I'm glad you didn't make me a coffee. <laughs> <laughs> um, what Disney character or cartoon character do you think you are most like? I love Spongebob. Okay. Um, I'm not sure if that means I'm no, most like him, whatever. but I love him. Yeah, fine. There's probably, there's a reason you like him. Hmm. Um, what was the last thing that inspired you? Last thing that inspired me? A uh, chap called Dave Cornthwaite. Um, he is an adventurer. Um, oh, the Yes Tribe. Yes Tribe guy. The Yes Tribe Yeah, guy. he's okay. a really, really interesting guy. So he actually, about two and a half years ago, I went along to a talk of his with three friends and we it was just like a knee-jerk, like, oh, this looks... Like, we were very much at that point, we were in boring dross corporate London. Yeah. And sort of the thought of, like, the escape or the doing something else was... At that point, we were exactly in that sounds great but would never happen to us. Yeah. Um, and we just went along to this talk by this, this guy, Dave, and 
his his journey then mirrored the sort of trajectory that myself and a lot of my friends now find ourselves on. He was like, I had a house and a girlfriend and I played a lot of PlayStation and I had a crap well-paid job. And I just, I just rinsed and repeated that day in, yeah. day out. And then I decided not to, bought a skateboard and skateboarded the length of Australia yeah. and broke a world record. Um, and and it, and his whole his whole mantra and his whole ethos was, if I can do it, you can do it. Yeah. And I think you hear that so often, it becomes trite. You're like, yeah, but... Yeah. You, I can't I, because I've got this, this and this to worry yeah. about and you didn't and your dad has a trust fund. Yeah. And, you know. or, or just like, oh, but you're so like, you always see people how they are and it's very hard to kind of, to extrapolate back to where they were um like so so dave was this guy who'd like he'd swam the length of the mississippi and done all these really cool things and it's so hard to imagine them when they weren't doing that um mm. but obviously like, it's true like everyone starts somewhere and you yeah. know some people do start with the trust fund but like for someone like dave he he didn't he was he was exactly what he said on the tin he was like he had a shit job that paid him a bit of money and yeah. a girlfriend that he didn't really like and a house that he didn't really want um <laughs> really? I, was, I was like oh they, you know I don't have any of those things, but I, I can put myself in the mindset. Um, and that evening, four of us were just like, all right, let's just do the three peaks. Next yeah. weekend, we're free. Well, it's that three weeks' time. Brilliant. Let's do it. Let's not plan it. Let's just go. Yeah. Um, and that that doesn't sound like much, but that kickstarted the whole thing. Yeah. And we did it. We're like, oh, fuck. We can do stuff. Right. Like, yeah, we can. And that's so imp- And that's what I think so many people now, especially in corporate life, like you get, you get. And this is one of the strange things because I think people really pretend. Like in jobs that, oh, you get so much responsibility. And, you know, like I remember in, in Deloitte, in the tax department, you weren't allowed to send an email to the client without your manager checking it. Mm. I'm like, Jesus, how, mm. like, people are capable of, of everything. And yet we're so held back. And that's one of the interesting things. It's, it's really interesting. People that, because obviously, like running a marathon mm. is something people put up there as, like, you know, the big, it's a big, scary thing. And we have so many people be like, oh, you know, I'd, Uganda sounds amazing. I'd love to come, but ugh, run a marathon. <laughs> Me? <laughs> no. Um, and it's just like, you hear these self-limiting beliefs come out the whole time. It's like, I can do that. That's definitely not for me. Or oh, I'm so unfit. And people tell these themselves these these stories and they're so limiting. And actually, like, people can people can do anything. Yeah. They really can. Um, and like running a marathon is is the least, the least challenging thing. Um, like there's a guy that ran ran a marathon last year, actually on a broken leg. He mm. had a broken leg, and he ran 26 miles on it in Africa, up and down hills, on the equator, under bright bright as anything sun. You know, people can do so much more than they think. Um, and I think that was, but you have to be. It's a process. You have to slowly realise it. So we we did the three peaks without yeah. any any like training or any knowledge or anything. Yeah. And we didn't die, and yeah. no one fell off a mountain, and it was fine. And we're like, okay, we've done that. Now maybe on to the we, next one. Yeah, we can do other things. We can yeah. set up a marathon in Uganda. We yeah. can start a global movement. You know. Yeah. yeah. It's a process. Yeah. It's all a process. Um. And lastly, before we uh, before we close, I guess, uh, what are your Henryisms? So what. Are, what are stepping stones or what's the last thing you'd say to the listeners who are interested in setting up a conscious business or setting up any business I would say or even taking their first steps to start running my um my big Henryism I guess and I've, I've never really thought of it this way but my big thing and it's kind of specific but my big thing is I've always felt like I'm able to put myself in other people's shoes 
in a business sense. So mm. I think like marketing is the most important thing. Like if you have an amazing product yeah. and no one knows about it, yeah. you don't have anything. Yeah. Like you've, you've got to be able to tell a story around it. And my, my skill has always been whether I'm, whether I'm teaching people things or whether I'm marketing something is always to be able to put myself in other people's shoes. And so that, you know, marketing messages, like, you know, everyone's got a Facebook page for their business now yeah. and people post stuff all the time on it. It's like your golden rule should be... Would I want to read this on my Facebook page? Exactly. Or even taking it to a higher degree, would I share this with a friend? Yeah. If I saw this... Would I send it to someone else? Is it exciting enough? Is it yeah. cool enough? And if it's not, just don't fucking tell anyone. <laughs> like, like if it's bo- don't be boring. Like pe- people's you you have such unlimited access to other people's attention. Yeah. Like whether it be teaching or marketing or selling or whatever, you know, respect people's time, respect their attention, and give them something that excites them. Great. Well, I'm going to respect my listeners' attention and bring this to a close. But thank you so much for sharing your story. No problem. And uh, yeah, uh, good luck with this year potentially coming out. Uh, I'll try to, I guess. (laughs) Um, But yeah, thanks again. Awesome. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to the podcast and sign up to my newsletter for the show notes and my blog at samirastalks.com. And hit me up to let me know what you thought. Leave a review on iTunes, please, or get in touch at Samira Storks on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. This week, I'll be interviewing Alexandra Warder, who has a contemporary art gallery called Bottom Baum in an old industrial estate in Peckham, London. She showcases young solo artists, mostly exploring performance work. Originally a law student, she ended up meeting her co-founder at a previous job as an art consultant, which in fact turned out to be a complete scam. Nevertheless, now as two young women in the industry, they're rewriting the tested gallery model and are not trying to get exclusivity on artists' works, but instead encouraging artists to self-publish on social media. We'll hear about how she blends artistic and commercial aspirations, as well as her ambitions to blur the lines between art and other industries in the UK. Join me then. Bye.